so far there's we just take time to reflect and be mindful of what you've done your death and what it represents we are so grateful God we are so grateful Father and I thank you God for your willing sacrifice to reach out to humanity to save us for we could not save ourselves. So Lord, as a church, we are grateful. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for this journey that you have us on. Thank you, Lord, for the benefits of following you, worshipping you, Lord. May we never forget phase one, as Wesley so rightly reminded us. May we not ever forget phase one God you are pure you cannot be found where sin is and but out of your love you chose to send your son to die in our place so that we can be drawn to you we can be with you father and for that we are eternally grateful father and as we continue looking at your word this morning, in light of all of this, in light of your, of your action, the blood shed on the cross, may you continue, Father, bringing light to our lives. In Jesus' name. So the acts of God are incredible. I don't understand them often. Which father would send his only son to die a gruesome death on a cross? A criminal's death, as it were, on the cross for others. For others. I don't understand it in my in my in my mind, in my head, I cannot fathom, I cannot comprehend. But then again, I'm only human, and so are you. Some things that we are meant to understand, some things we're meant to know on this earth, but there are others that we will only find out when we're face to face with our Creator. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 continues we'll read from verse 3 through to verse 6 it's we've been covering Philippians for uh, a long time now but we continue because there are truths and things that God wants to continually highlight to us as he as he uh, continues to um, shape us and mold us to his son's image. So verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5, Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. And today's verse in particular, verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Another translation puts it this way, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Yet another translation says it this way, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. So we've been speaking about what Paul has been encouraging his friends in Philippi through this book of Philippians. And we have learned and we know that he has been appealing to this concept, this big idea about unity. All along he's been speaking about unity to his friends. He is in prison writing to his friends who are free. And he says, he calls them to unity. That's a big picture, big idea, unity. This is what he wants. And we need to understand that his, uh, his, his encouragement to them, to the Philippians, and his encouragement to us is that us as Christians, today, we have to continually learn how to hold together in harmony. Wesley was right. We are forgiven. It's an it's a, it's a act that salvation is a once-off act. It doesn't help, salvation doesn't reoccur. It's not as though you uh, save twice, three, four, five thousand times. It happens once. But there's a continual uh, mindfulness that we are sinners. And we need to hold ourselves, come together again and remind ourselves that we are sinful. We need Jesus to help us through His Spirit to, to form, to, to, to change us, to represent Him as best as we can. And that's part of what Paul is trying to encourage his friends. That we, his friends in Philippi, us here in redemption, us in the Christian community today, the 21st century, that we need to learn how to hold together in harmony. We are not perfect. Yes, you will agree with me. We are not perfect yet. And we know that the tendency to get into quarrels in the Christian context, Christian community, is ever so real. In this race, the human race that we are involved with, that God has allowed us, He's left us, He's not, well, He hasn't left us, He's allowed us to be on earth now. We're not with Him physically in heaven, we're here. But the, the, the human race and the enemy and his exploits and his ways comes in and tries to infiltrate and tries to make me uh, feel as though I'm better than the next person. And so quarrel happens. Even more so within the Christian community. But we are different. When those who are not saved, those who are not regenerated, quarrel and fight and go crazy, we can almost understand because the enemy is busy. The word says that the God of this age is busy at work. So you're not to be surprised when those things happen. But we are also not to be surprised when it happens within the church, 
within us people who are saved. Why? Because we are in the world, but not of the world. We are subject to the things that are happening in the world. But we have one great advantage, and that is Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, is in us. And as we submit to Him, as we break our bread and have communion, as we are mindful that we are indeed still sinners, and we need His help, so He helps us to not become so quarrelsome. Is that an English word? He helps us to do those things. And see, one of the greatest aspects of Christian godliness is learning to hold together in unity. Learning to hold together in unity with other Christians. We have to learn to develop gracious and loving attitudes toward each other. Now, all along this, this, um, through this book, you would have heard, if you have been paying attention, um, you would have heard words like the big picture, unity. Paul is trying to encourage his friends, unity. You would have heard um, words like attitude. Our attitude determines uh, where we go, right or left. You would have heard of a word called humility. And so he continues to press on, continues to remind his friends of what Christ has done on the cross and what it means for us today. I'll often say that, you know, we, we read the Word of God and the Word of God is, is uh, almost a, a manual to help us to live this life according to His will that will bring glory to Him. So Paul here presented the most powerful argument in the New Testament for Christ's deity in the context of yet another argument for us, for the people, um, uh, or appeal for unity. Remember what God says, where there's unity... God commands His blessing. When we are united, God cannot help Himself but bless unity. It's almost like it's, it's, it goes against His character if He does not bless unity. So Paul harks or, or continues to labor hard on this concept about unity. We've got to get to a place where we are continually united. And being continually united takes effort. It takes effort for us to decide that actually our will stoop low, as it were. Our will go to the side so that we can be united. Actually, someone has to give. Someone has to be wrong. And that might actually be me. And if that's the case, I have to admit it. And as I admit it together... Man, there's just this thing of unity that is created. And God commands blessing when that happens. He commands blessing. See, the step from undiminished, this is Jesus, the step from undiminished deity into a human body is the first phase of Jesus' humility. 
Jesus, the King of Kings, the, the God of the universe, had to be humble. Humble enough for Him to come and stoop down to earth so that He can save you and I. He had everything. Glory. He created. Paul will speak about the, uh, some in, in Corinthians, in Colossians, that everything was created by Him. Who? Jesus. He had it all. And he decided to step aside and humble himself to the Father's will so that he can come and save us. And so Paul here begins with the advantage that Jesus had pre-coming to earth. The advantage that Jesus had, the, the very nature of God, equality with God is what he had. And then once he's looked at that, he goes on to deal with an attitude. There is the word again, attitude, that Jesus did not display. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. So we have to, we understand the concept, Jesus is God. He came to the earth. Let's understand, we kind of understand and have heard the process, but we need to go back to before he came onto earth and understand what he had. What did Jesus had? He had the very nature of God. He was God. He is God before he came to earth. It's a little bit confusing, I understand. It confuses me. But thank goodness that God is in me and in us and he helps us to, to work these things out. And so here we see Paul begins by trying to highlight and explain what Jesus had before he was born into this world. What he had before he was born into this world. And the simple answer to that, what he had was glorious. But because of his humble attitude and him being, um, having just... Exuding, is that, is that an English word? Humility. He humbled himself and came to earth. He had everything. And humility seems as though it has something to do with what we have at the very beginning. See, a person who has nothing to start off with does not have such a big task to become nothing. Because he's got nothing, or she's got nothing. But someone who has a lot, now I'm talking about understanding in, in terms of maybe possession, power, uh, maybe money, or influence, whatever that it, it looks to us. If we have a lot of that, it's very, very difficult for us to humble ourselves and give all of that up. So what kind of being was a son of God before he became a human being. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought of that? What was Jesus like before he came down to earth? We know that he is the son of God. Jesus um, was in the beginning. In the beginning, the word, he was found. He, he created everything. But then he came down to earth to be with us. Have you ever wondered what that looked like, what his life looked like? I think it's a valid question. 
What did Jesus' life look like before he came down to earth? What the Bible tells us gives us a few hints. See, he was in his nature God, as we see in verse 6. He was in his nature God. See, the pre-existing Christ was externally divine. Before he was human, he was God. He was divine. He had, it, he had glory. In his in, innermost being, he was God. Even before he was born. It's a very hard concept to grasp. For us. For us. This Jesus that we worship and follow says that he was God before he was even born into the earth. The Son of God existed before he came into this world as a human being. We all believe that. Read the word of God and we believe that. That Jesus existed before um, the earth was uh, created, before you were created. And then we look at um, science and we have the Big Bang theory. Bang and things appeared. Have you ever thought of, of, of that? How is it possible? How is it possible that something banged and leaves appeared? Trees appeared. The sun came about. Flowers, beautiful flowers. Birds, us, the human race appeared. How is that possible? We all done biology. Um, we know the, 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 the concept. We know that, that you cannot be, you cannot just appear. A man and a woman have to come together and then you are conceived. We are all adults. So, we hear these things about the Big Bang. I don't understand. I cannot see that. The Word of God says it differently. Differently. So, how, how is it? And who, how was he before he came onto the, in, into this earth? Paul reminds us of all of this. He was God before he came down to earth. So Paul reminds us, because Jesus, the King of Kings, was willing to step down from the radiating divine glory, from everything he had, he was willing to step down so that he can come and save you and I, and in obedience to God's will. And so Paul says to his friends in Philippi, this was the mentality of the Son of God. He was willing to forego glory and step down into a humble position. Paul says to the Philippians and to us through the Holy Spirit this morning, you do the same. You do with your elevated status, be willing to step to go down. Humble yourself. This is the mentality that Jesus had. The king of kings who had everything was willing to go down. And we are to do the same. So he starts off in this verse. Verse 6. Philippians 2 verse 6. And he says, Who being in the form 
of God. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I think the, this other translation is, is better for our ears. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he begins um, telling us, Paul, encouraging his friends in Philippi, as he is uh, encouraging us this, this morning through his word. He tells us the first of seven steps downward, but the sacrificial son of God. This way it started. God sacrificed himself for you and I. So these steps move from his undiminished deity to the death of a criminal on the cross. Death of a criminal on a cross. See, there's no human comparison to scale this step of Jesus. See, we often think of the cross as quite humiliating and almost in some ways a noble task. But in actual fact, it was humiliating in, in, in the context of that day and age. But the incarnation was an enormous loss of position or loss of dignity from his capacity as God. Now, we read the Bible, we read about Abraham, we read about Moses, but we cannot say that of, of Moses or Abraham. We cannot say that they were in the form of God. Jesus is the only one. The only person in time about whom this statement could be made. He was in the form of God. No one equal in essence with God like Jesus was. Never in eternity past was he ever non-existent. So we're trying to talk about what he had before he came to this earth. Before he humbled himself and came down to earth for us, to, to, to redeem us. He was God Almighty. He had an unbegun beginning. Unbegun beginning. It's a very it's a twist, twisted words. Unbegun beginning. He lives in eternal life. Jesus was, has always been. He didn't just... He has always been. The concept, as I said, is hard for me to, to quantify, to, to comprehend. Jesus was always around. He was always around. He never began to be God. He always was God. From the beginning. We speak of Jesus, the Son of God, uh, that maybe began to become God as he was on this earth. No, no, Jesus was God always, before, in between, and forevermore. He will always be God. He always had perfect righteousness. His righteousness was totally absolute. 
This is to name but a few of his attributes. He shared all the essential attributes of God. And so the word form in this um, passage of scripture, this verse, does not mean shape, but rather essence. Rather essence. Who being in the form of God. It's not he looked like God, his shape was like God. No, no, it was his essence. His being, him, who he is. Praise God. This word form does not refer to the outward shape or, art, um, or outward form of a thing. Jesus was not identical to God. Don't see any frowns. Jesus was not identical to God. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was God. Before he came down to earth, he was God. In essence, he was God. He shares the very nature and attributes of God. And that the word being refers to the original state of his existence. In his original state, before he, became, he came to earth, he was God. Now, he was about to take on another state. Humanity. His original state was that of God. Now he was about to stoop into a human body. Remember, we're talking about what he had before he came down to earth, who he was, the King of Kings. Now, as I was preparing this and as I was reading and trying to understand this, he was God before he came onto earth. He was there in the beginning when he created everything, it was him, he was involved in the creation of the whole universe. The Big Bang that we, that we hear about, that Big Bang, he was there. He was there. In fact, they I say that he created the Big Bang when we see is it the stars shooting and banging stuff. He allowed that. He created that. He was there. And so as I was reading and preparing for this, and I just, my mind trying to comprehend that this Jesus, the King of Kings, was there in the beginning. He's here today and he will be here forever, forever as we carry on into eternity. Man, this thing, this, I am reminded again. I am reminded and convinced again that nothing, and I mean nothing, is impossible for this God. If God, the creator, the king of kings, the one who owns everything, can humble himself and come into the, into the human race to rescue and redeem us for his own purpose, for, for, for him, for his own glory, what can he not do? What can he not do? When it is written that he parted the seas, who does that? Who is able to do that? Part the seas. 
the oceans. I'm scared of the oceans. And he can, he, he works, he holds it, he parts it. And then he says, not only that, he calmed the storm. He says, shh, be quiet, and become still. And it's true. If Jesus can do that, come down to earth, that is true of him. He allowed the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine in Joseph's time. Maybe sometimes we think he allowed the seven years of plenty because we want good things. God allows prosperity. But no, he cannot be the one who allowed the famine. It must be the devil. Let's not give credit to the devil. Let's rather give credit to God. We don't understand how, he thinks, how everything works together, but it says that it is him. He told Joseph that there will be seven years of plenty, so gather up, prepare, and there will be seven years of famine. So he had to either have caused it, I won't get into a debate about that, or he allowed it. Depends where you are. The point is, he was in charge. He knew it all. He knew it all, and that's true of him. If he can do that, what can't he do? When, when it, it says, it's written, your faith in him can move a mountain. My dear friends and family, it is true. Your faith can move a mountain. Jesus can be the king of kings can become a man. Can leave his, step aside from his deity and become a human being. If he can do that, what is this thing of a mountain? What is this thing of a wave and oceans and seas? What is it to him? He can do that because why it is true. He is able to. Guess what? He owns it. And if he owns it, he can change. He can orchestrate. He can do that which he needs to do for the Father's glory. And so at this point, I say to you, if he, Jesus Christ, can step from his deity and become a human, then I ask us, I ask me, I ask you, what is it that he cannot do? What is it that he cannot do? Now, this is not a prosperity encouragement, but the question is, what is it that he cannot do? What is it that he cannot do? Forget about prosperity. Forget about uh, uh, we get clapped maybe with diseases and lack. And it's not about those things. It's about what is it that he cannot do? And I answer simply this. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing in the entire universe that he's not able to do. Nothing is too big or too small in your and my life that God, the almighty king, cannot handle. Cannot handle. Isn't that good news this morning? Us Christians who are saved, we celebrate the fact that we are saved. One day we will be with him. You know, absent from the body is present with Christ. That is exciting. But we are still here. But the good news is nothing Nothing is impossible for this Jesus that we worship and, and follow. 
But we have to believe it. We have to believe the word of God. And if we don't, Lord, help us to believe it again. As I was preparing this, I am reminded and I'm totally convinced. So the things that I'm trusting for that seem impossible, and it's almost selfish in some ways because it's me who's trusting for these things, it's possible. It's possible. But the question then is, is it God's, in God's will or is it my will? It's in God's will or my will. I've got to be humble enough to say, God, like Jesus said in, in the garden, it was going to the cross. Not my will, but your will. Is it, necess- is it possible for you to take this cup away from me? Yes, it is possible. Gee, God can do it. God could have done it. Is it possible for you to take away this, this um, uh, problem? Yes, God can. It is possible. But we, as his children, as we spend time with him, he helps us to get to the place where we say, God, I want that to be, but not my will, but your will. Because when we get to that place, we find ourselves giving God the glory. So this Jesus gave himself to the greatest of humiliations, the greatest of shames, a criminal's death. Yet he was God Almighty, the highest of high. He went to a criminal's death, the lowest of low. He could not have suffered more than he did. Christ could not have gone further than he did. So Paul encourages his friends in Philippi, and today through the Holy Spirit encourages us through this word, that our attitude should be that lack of Christ. We should, um, uh, we should not put any limitation to our attitudes of willingness to give to other fellow Christians. Because I've said it before, we are being transformed to the image and likeness of our King Jesus. And just in conclusion, Jesus is real. He owns everything. He can do this and he can, or he can do that. It is all possible through him. We have to believe that. But if it doesn't work out the way that we want it to work out, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It doesn't mean that he's not able to. It just means that perhaps it was not part of his uh, will, part of his path, part of his process. I'll be vulnerable, if I may. Um, I mean, as I said, we've learned, we've heard words like humility, we've heard words like attitude and uh, unity, big picture unity. And uh, this thing about humility is a very, very difficult concept for us humans, us Christians, and should I say us men? Ladies, don't shake your heads. Us men. The amount of times I've had to humble myself this last week only. In fact, yesterday, yesterday, I had to humble myself and say, actually, I am sorry. 
actually I was wrong. Because of my pride, I don't want to be seen as wrong. I don't want to be seen as though I am not perfect as it were. But Jesus, Paul encourages us in this, in this uh, script and says, Jesus' mentality was he humbled himself that, God, that God's will may take place and that he may receive the glory. So how much you and I, how much should we be those who are so quick to humble ourselves and say we are indeed sorry? And as we do that, guess what? God gets the glory. God gets the glory. And then unity is created. And then God commands his blessing as that unity is created. I won't give you all the details, but I had to humble myself this week. Thank God that he lives in me. Because if I have it my way, things will be different. So I leave us with these two questions. Number one, if Jesus humbled himself by stepping from his deity into his humanity, is it not necessary or required upon us to humble ourselves daily? Every situation that requires humbling, Jesus could do that. If Jesus could humble himself from, the, from earning everything, he humbled himself to come and become human. Shouldn't we be willing to do that? Remember, it's a choice. It's an attitude. It's a choice. It doesn't force that. It doesn't force you to humble yourself. There may be a lot of situations in our lives to come that we are humble because we are too proud because he loves us and wants to change and help us. But shouldn't we do that? And then number two, in all honesty... Is humility a core value in your thinking? Is humility a core value in your thinking? After all, it was the heart of the one that we love and serve. So we've looked at the first part of this verse, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, we've looked at that, how it was before he came to earth. Next week we'll look at the second part of this verse. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So how did it transform? How did it work? How did God show the example? How did Jesus Christ in his humanity show us the example as how we ought to live? Father, thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you, Father, for your mercy upon us, Lord, that uh, you would use a man like Paul to highlight this thing about unity, that we ought to be united, especially us as brothers and sisters in your, who are yours, your children, God. So I pray, Lord God, that you'd help me and you'd help us to be those who are quick to humble ourselves. Help me be quick to humble ourselves so that our attitudes will be one that is poised or driven towards creating unity as we 
walk and live this life. In Jesus' strong and mighty name I pray. Amen.